Let's open our Bibles this evening to Genesis chapter 37, and we're ready to consider verses 12 through 36. Genesis chapter 37, and we'll begin reading at verse 12. Then his brothers went to feed their father's flock in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding the the flock in Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. So he said, Joseph said to him, Here am I. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks and bring back word to me. And so he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him, and there he was, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Quite the thought process here. But Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. Reuben, the oldest, had this thought. He'll make his brothers happy, throw him in the pit, throw Joseph in the pit. But Reuben would come back later and save him. That was his plan. So it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty. There was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked. And there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, and myrrh, and on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Now their greed is going to begin to manifest itself. Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. So let's just sell him instead of kill him. And his brothers listened. The Midianite traders passed by, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt, another type of Christ when he was sold, betrayed. Verse 29, Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes. And he returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more. And I, where shall I go? Knowing that as the oldest, he would be responsible for his little brother. So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of goats, and dipped the tunic in the blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? The deceit just continues. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. 
So the brothers didn't actually lie to Jacob, to Israel. Uh, They let Jacob come to his own false conclusions. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, For I shall go down into my grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and captain of the guard. So in this passage, very familiar, if any of us have spent any time in Sunday school, which I think most of us have, we, we know this, this story. It is interesting to go back and to read the, the details and all of the, the thought process of these, these evil brothers of Joseph's. And so we want to look at some of the lessons that we can learn, both from Joseph and then also from, from the reactions and the attitudes of his, his brothers there. There are things, though this may seem extreme to us, and oh, well, that, that could never happen today. All of the motives, all of the carnality that we see here, it manifests itself every day, certainly in the world, and sadly among many Christians as well. The root of these things, uh, as we will see as we study the Scripture. So Joseph's been given this glorious revelation from God that he was going to obtain a place of power and authority. He was going to rule over his brothers. That's what God had revealed to him in these dreams. That was God's plan, and that was God's purpose. But before the fulfillment of those promises, from the time that he received the revelation to the time that he actually sat on the throne, there were a lot of very unpleasant things that Joseph had to experience, and things that at times seemed to completely make it impossible for God to honor his word and to fulfill his promises. Not only did it seem like a detour, these things seemed like it was the absolute opposite of what God had promised. And yet, as we know, we have the advantage of knowing the end of the story. God fulfilled his word every detail. And so when we're in the depths of our trials, when we're in our pits, can you can you imagine this? Teenage boy being treated the way he was by his brothers, thrown in a pit. Can you imagine his thought process? And yet, and and we don't know what all that thought process was, but the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, records what we need to understand. And later on, we we see his character of faith shine bright in every situation. In, In this particular one, we don't get a lot of insight about what he said or thought in the pit. But later on, when he goes through just as severe of trials, we see his responses, we see his reactions, and they are reactions and thoughts of faith, even when it looks like God has failed to honor his word. We need to follow Joseph's example of faith. And in very real situations, in very real trials, we need to follow that same example. Joseph, one of the things that we can see in this passage is Joseph as a youth, had an attitude of a servant. And so what we want to kind of put into context here in our situation is we've been given a revelation of the opportunity to sit with Jesus in his throne to rule as a joint equal heir with him. We've been given that promise too, haven't we? We've been given that opportunity to be able to lay hold of that revelation. 
And too often, those that say they have a revelation of what we have called the bridal message, too often that we have seen those who have an understanding that there's a special group of Christians that will set with Jesus as a joint equal heir, they have an attitude of arrogance about them. We've all seen it. But here in Joseph, who had a revelation of power and glory and authority, we see his willingness to serve others. His father asked him, and, and notice how quickly he responds. And again, from last, last week, we considered those that say Joseph was a spoiled brat and, and a tattletale. Joseph was doing what his father asked him to do. That's a good thing. That's called obedience. And all through the word of God, that's considered a good thing. But we see his willingness. Go check on your brothers. See what they need. Take some provisions with you. You know, take what, what they need. And he said, here am I. What do you need, Dad? And so he went, knowing that his brothers hated him. He already knew that. He already knew his brothers hated him. And yet he was willing to go provide what they needed because it was his father's will. For those of us that understand that we have, that there is the calling, that heavenly calling to sit with Jesus in his throne, if, you, if we truly understand that right now, before we sit on that throne, this is the attitude that should characterize us. We are to be servants. We are to be willing to serve, to do whatever God wants us to do, to minister to the needs of others. It's not arrogance. I know this, and I'm better than you. May the Lord help us from falling into that, that pit. That's a far worse pit than the pit that Joseph was in. We need a heart, the heart of a servant. Let's read a number of scriptures where not only Paul, but as we'll start out here in James, let's go to James 4, 6. If you truly believe that we're called to sit with Jesus in his throne, we'll be characterized by the very nature of Jesus Christ. Jesus humbled himself and became our servant, didn't he? The son of God, he saw my need of salvation, and he came to serve my need, to fulfill my need of salvation. And if we're going to be Christ-like, that should be our attitude right now. Not, I deserve this, and people need to honor me, and all the, the things that we certainly see in the flesh, but sadly, again, we see it in the flesh of God's people. But James 4, 6 says, but he, God, gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Joseph was humble. We need to be humble. Verse 10 of James 4, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. He'll exalt you in due time. God was going to exalt Joseph in the right time and in the right way. But in the meantime, and we'll see this through every trial that Joseph goes through, whatever, wherever he found himself, he became a servant. And not only just a servant, he became the best servant in that circumstance, in that situation that you could possibly be in every circumstance, in every situation. And so that's that needs to be our response to trials as well, not woe is me, but and not focus on our own needs when when we when we fall into that self pity that we often do and we've all done it. 
And that's probably our first reaction. Poor me. Why, God? Why, why did you allow this? Rather than focus on our hurt or our loss, which, which I'm not belittling because there's some real loss and there's real suffering among God's people. The pain is real. The sorrow is real. The tears are real. But if we will learn to be willing to say, Lord, here am I. In this situation, in this circumstance, what is it I need to do? To focus on others? If we don't do that, we'll become so self-absorbed that we'll be absolutely miserable and we'll make everyone around us miserable too. And again, we, we've all been there. We all know it. I know it. I've experienced it. I've, I've failed. But I've also learned the faithfulness of the Lord that when I would learn to refocus my attention on what the Lord would have me to do at this time and in this way and in this circumstance, it's put me in the right frame of mind to focus on doing the will of God. Colossians 3, let's see what Paul says, should characterize those who have a revelation of the bridal message, those who truly love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. Colossians three twelve to 15. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, all of these the opposite of arrogance and pride, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. Joseph knew his brothers hated him, but he went to minister to their need anyway. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love. What is love? It is that unconditional, selfless commitment to the well-being of others. It's not always this lovey-dovey, gooey love that the world talks about. It's what is truly in the best interest of the one that I love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. So peace will rule our hearts when we love with a divine godly love, when we serve, when we have a heart of a servant. And the word rule there in the Greek, it means literally to, to be the umpire the one who makes the calls. Peace will make the calls, not your circumstance, not your situation, but knowing that you're in the will of God. Titus chapter 3 in verses 1 and 2. Again, humility, service, submission, not arrogance. Titus 3, 1 and 2. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For the child of God who truly understands the grace of God that invites us to sit in the throne with Jesus, that glorious revelation of, of glory and power and authority and wealth for eternity, those that truly have that revelation will right now in this life have the heart of a servant, just like Joseph did. We know we don't deserve that exalted place. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve anything but the wrath of God. But God's grace saved us from that wrath and then does, offers us so much more than just escaping hell. So we know we don't deserve that place, and so why are we going to be puffed up but only grateful, only grateful for the grace of God? 
and then to share that grace, be an example of that grace to others. No one and no work should be beneath us. Anyone know Christians? I've, I've known pastors. Well, that's beneath me. Well, not if it's the will of God. Not if that's what God's called you to do. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 19, what did he say? He was exalted. He, he, had, he was caught up into heaven, and he saw things that no one else has ever seen and that he couldn't even describe and wasn't allowed to describe some of it. He had a glorious revelation, but what does he say was his attitude, his understanding? 1 Corinthians nine nineteen, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win the more. So exalted to the apostle of the church age, and yet he refers to himself as the servant of all. How can we not have that same understanding, that same mentality? We humbly minister to others for the glory of the one who gave himself for us, for the glory of the one that we're going to share in his glory, the Lord Jesus Christ. So may the Lord keep us from arrogance, from self-importance, and realize we're nothing apart from God's grace. We have nothing. We deserve nothing apart from God's grace. So let's spend our time pointing others to Christ, being, being vessels of that same grace so that Jesus Christ is glorified. Well, look, we'll look at one more characteristic before we close tonight, uh, and there are several that I want to look at, so we'll just take our time here. But another one we, we see that should characterize those of us that have that desire to respond to God's grace that offers that invitation to sit with Jesus in his throne, and that is persistence and faithfulness. Joseph going to minister to the needs of the brothers that hated him. He got to Shechem where they were supposed to be, and we don't know all the circumstances, whether it was legitimate reasons they went on to Dothan or whether they were neglecting their responsibilities. We don't know. We don't know. They supposed to have been in Shechem, but they weren't. Well, if I was Joseph, and if I had, if I gave in to my flesh, well, those brothers hated me. I did what my father wanted. I'm going back home. They're supposed to have been here, and they're not here, so I'm done. He went the extra mile, and quite literally, probably extra several miles. He was persistent. His father asked him to do this. Seemed to be an obstacle, and yet he did whatever was necessary to press on, and he was faithful to do what his father asked him to do. Luke chapter 11, God is looking for persistence and faithfulness in our faith and in our obedience as well. Too many of God's people are looking for excuses not to do what our fathers ask us to do. And that starts with the general things that God wants all of us to do. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Read the word of God. And yet too many of God's people, something comes up. Some obstacle, it's too convenient to say, well, uh, I'm not going to do what God, and I'm talking about not one or two services. I'm talking about consistently missing because of some inconvenience in your life. Not reading the word of God, not praying because it's not convenient. God's looking for persistence in our walk with him. Luke 11, 5 to 10. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves? 
for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And and he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, and I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, keep on asking, and it will be given to you. Seek, keep on seeking, and you will find. Knock, keep on knocking, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. So God is looking for this virtue of persistence, not, not only in prayer, which is, of course, the subject here, but in, in our obedience as well to what he's asked us to do, not to give up so easily. When it looks like things are not convenient or it just is not working out, persistence in our service to others. Paul wrote about this in Galatians 6, 9, and 10. Sometimes when you're serving your brother or sister in the Lord, it's, it gets a little tiresome sometimes, and it'd be easy to look for reasons to stop. But Galatians 6, 9, and 10, Paul writes, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity... Let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Joseph continued his journey. He continued, despite the temporary setback, he continued to do what his father asked him to do. So let's not look for reasons or excuses for us to ignore what we know to be the will of God, whatever it may be, and may we be faithful to do what he's asked us to do. We'll close with 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, he says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. These are two virtues that God is looking for in those that will rule and reign with Christ. Persistence in our service, persistence in our obedience, persistence in our prayer, and faithfulness to do the will of the Father. May the Lord help us. Well, let's stand. We'll be dismissed tonight.